Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 281 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Valentine's Day as we record, so we are celebrating that. Yesterday was Coach K's 74th birthday. Happy birthday to the greatest of all time, and we want to celebrate that. And we won, so we got a lot to celebrate today. Before we do all that, Donald Wine here, your host for this episode. I am joined, as usual, by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. Sam, how are you this morning? I am doing well. For the second time in recent weeks, I wasn't able to watch the game live, and I, I watched the condensed version, and I highly recommend if you are able to access via whatever subscription services you have, the condensed game on ESPN and just miss all of the the ads and the halftime and everything. It was like a crisp hour and 15 minutes. And uh, especially in this season, it's a great way to digest these games. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely done that a couple of times just to kind of rewatch games. I'm like, huh. They should offer this live. They should just say, hey, you want the version that doesn't have commercials? I know this is the that, this but, is the you know. ESPN plus that I actually want. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't need the ESPN for. plus where I where I get to see like every, you know, mid and low major conference uh, basketball game. I want to see Duke games in a in a cool 75 minutes. Absolutely. And I also bring in Jason Evans. And Jason, I want to ask you this question. Yes. I got to watch Judas and the Black Messiah on Friday. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Your thoughts. Oh yeah, it's a it's a remarkable film. I, you know, I voted my 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 critics agency that I'm a part of um, uh, when we voted on awards. Judas and the Black Messiah had not been released yet and was not eligible for our awards. I wish it had been. It would have been in my top ten. Um, it would have certainly made some impact on some of my acting awards. It's a great film, an important story for people to know and understand. And Donald, I'm going to give you another one. Just the other day. Uh, I got a very, very, very early screener of a film that's coming out in a few weeks on Hulu, the U.S. versus Billie Holiday. And the reason I got it is because my brother uh, manages Andra Day, who is the star of that film and is a very successful musician. She is unbelievable in this movie. She is she's up for a Golden Globe. I think she she has a chance to get a Best Actress nomination at the Oscars. Is she also Re- singing in the in the movie? I mean, of course. Are you kidding me? Billie Holiday, her primary role in the film is to sing. Oh, I, I wasn't sure. Sometimes they sometimes they they overdub with other singers, but but they've got an actress who's got the chops to do it. Just so we're clear, she was a very, very successful singer before. <laughs> this is her first acting role. She's okay. a huge, she's a big time singer. She's been nominated for multiple Grammys. Um, so yeah, she knows how to sing and she kills it in this movie. The film, the plot. Not as good as Judas and the Black Messiah, but both of those are, are really great films about important figures in America's civil rights history that you need to know about. Prime and Hulu have been stepping their game up lately. I, I appreciate that as someone who stays home quite a bit and has tried to catch up on watching movies. But we're not here to watch movies right now. We're going to talk about some basketball and we get to talk about some good basketball. Uh, Duke took the drive over to Raleigh yesterday to play NC State, as we mentioned. It was the GOAT's birthday, and you know that what that means. We can't lose on Coach K's birthday. It's just not allowed. Uh, so Duke didn't do that. They went home, and, and they came home with a victory. They win 69-53. to 53. It didn't even feel like it was that close. They moved to 8-8 eight and eight in overall, 6-6 six and six in the ACC. Duke gets his sixth straight win in games that fall on the GOAT's birthday of February 13th in a game that Duke really got out to a hot start. They never let up. They had a lot of great things going for them. So – as always, we will start with the headline. And Jason, what was your headline from this game? Duke starts with D and stomps NC State. I like it. I like it. Sam, what about you? I had hurt hot 
as Duke squeezes State. Ooh. Uh, the alliteration, it was it's almost a tongue twister. Like, say that again, hurts hot. Say it. Hurt hot as Duke squeezes State. So I think there I got go. the shooting and the defense into uh-huh. that headline. Yeah, you do. Uh, and mine is just very basic. Coach K gets best birthday gift in Duke road win over NC State. We, in a season where we haven't had a lot to talk about that has been great, yesterday was great. So we get to start with the cake as we normally do, but this time I feel like we'll have quite a bit. So, Sam, uh, give me something, a, a good takeaway from this game that you saw that you liked. I think it well, might be Matthew Hurt. I will start because I put him in the headline with Matthew Hurt, six for seven from three. And the offensive game is getting to the point where he's doing, I mean, he's not, look, I'm, I'm not saying that Matthew Hurt is James Harden, but he's starting to do that James Harden thing where he has the ball or maybe even Kyrie Irving where he has the ball and does that little, uh, like, like he, like he's playing with the defender a little bit. Like he's playing a little street ball and says, Oh, you want it? Oh, never mind. I'm going to, I'm going to fake it over here. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pop for the, for the 18 footer. I'm going to pop for the, for the three pointer. I'm going to take the the sidestep and take the three pointer. Matthew hurt. His, his shooting game has become incredibly uh, proficient for I, I, like one of the best that we've seen, I think in recent years from a blue devil, not that he's, you know, driving and shooting. I think he's, he's, he doesn't have the complete offensive game, but the stuff that he does well, oh my goodness, he's doing it at a, in a way that you rarely see from a college player. I think that is my, my big takeaway from watching yesterday. So I, I will tell you that I asked Matthew Hurt what in the post game, because he was one of the players that showed up in the post game news conference. I asked him what it's like to be on fire the way he was against NC State. Uh, the dude hit his first six three pointers against them, uh, you know. And that uh, seventh one, I, he might have he might have had his foot on the line. Like yeah, they were joking, was, like he might have had his foot on the line. It was like a runner three pointer. They kind of like at the end of the shot clock or something. I, I sort of wish they hadn't counted it, but I asked him what it's like to be on fire like that, and he he didn't really answer too much. But he said he's been working with John Shire a lot in recent weeks to get his release faster and to play quicker. Um, and it's clearly paying off. And Coach K noted that too in the post game. He said that Hurt had just been playing too slow in the pa- in, in the past few games. You know, Matthew Hurt's level had been way up here, and it's come down some in recent games. And Coach K said he needed to speed up his game again. Um, and Coach K also noted that Matthew Hurt and and Mark Williams just seem to play really well together, and that their games complement each other really nicely. And that they, you know, they work on that high low. They they had that working a couple times in practice. Uh, I mean, in the game, and they work on that in practice a lot. Uh, Matthew Hurt was just outstanding in this game. This was the Matthew Hurt that was in the conversation for ACC Player of the Year. This was not the Matthew Hurt that has fallen out of that conversation in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and and Matthew Hurt. Uh, I mean he was looking for his shot. Like, I think you mentioned to us last night that the, that Mark Williams, or I'm sorry, that Matthew Hurt was always supposed to be in the starting lineup. It was just kind of a typo error uh, when it comes to starting lineup, not featuring him. Uh, and I know the ESPN broadcast had a hard time explaining why it was uh, Jordan Goldwire. And then he was in the lineup, but, but I digress. The thing about him early in the game is that he was searching for his shot. He, like he was taking it and you mentioned that he was getting the shot off quickly. There were times where there, like when he caught the ball, there was a dude already in his face and he kind of looked at him, at him as if to say like, Hey, too much space and would just shoot it right over him. Cause he was going out after it immediately. Cause once those first two went in and he saw that, you know, they didn't even, they barely touched neck. Like they went straight through. He had this look like and he, I, I saw him jawing with uh, one of the uh, NC state players kind of saying like, ah, see I'm on today. Now it's a problem. Like, 
it wasn't, it was just a very quick, like thing where he kind of acknowledged that, yep, I'm on fire. And it rode throughout the night. It's hard as a player of Matthew Hurt's size to have that kind of quickness with the ball in your hands. Cause you know, if he's, if he's dribbling or if he's getting the ball, he's getting it pretty low relative, you know, he's, he's a six foot eight guy, even he's got what, probably four or five inches on John Shire. So if John Shire is showing him these tricks and Matthew Hurt is, is replicating them, you get this kind of dangerous player. And it's awesome. It's awesome to hear that he's working on that specifically because you can very much see that development, especially in the last few weeks. And, and his release is so high. You know, he, t- he takes that shot. I mean, he's already a big dude. He's already 6'9", 6'10". Uh, but he's taking that shot from so far above his head I can't, I don't know how as a defender, you really stop that shot. You know, that you really, you have to be right up in his grill to have any chance of, of disrupting that three pointer. And the problem is if you get up there that close, he's going to pump fake you, by the way, he does such a good job of, of pump faking that and then putting it down and dribbling it. Instead, he's going to pump fake you and go around you and and get that mid range jumper. And he's got one of the best mid range jumpers in college basketball as well. Yeah, and you have to defend against both of that. And like you said, when you when he puts the ball in the air, he's you know he's six ten, but he's putting the ball in the air like seven three, seven four. So if you don't have that wingspan or if you don't have that that size, don't worry about trying to block the shot. You're just going to watch it go in. But I did want to talk about another guy who does have that kind of wingspan and has that size, Mark Williams, who I thought was incredible on both sides of the floor. Uh, you, there's he had five blocks, he had a career high in blocks, he had thirteen points. He was active in the middle and and I'll talk a little bit about this in the bad um, in a way, but, but for him, he was able to control the paint and show some of that monster dominance. He, whenever the ball went into the hoop, it was going towards the rim and he was in the game. He, he had a handout. He may not have gotten the block, but he altered just about every shot that he came in in contention with. And even some of them that went in, they had to, I mean, they had to shoot it in a straight like arc that went maybe 10, 12 feet in the air before it came back down because they had to get it over his outstretched hand. So I thought he did an excellent job at being a, a difference maker and being an energy guy on both ends of the floor. Jason, I, I know you talked about him in, in the uh, uh, earlier. I, I want to go back to you because uh, that was really something that we haven't seen from him, the, the, the aggression in a way that he was able to go after it on both ends of the floor. I've got a mind-blowing Mark Williams stat. That's just you're going to hear this. You're going to be like, "What, really?" Mark Williams led Duke in usage percentage in this game, and what that means is uh, his usage percentage was 30. percent That means that roughly a third of the time that Mark Williams is in the game, the Duke possession ended with him having the ball in his hands, shooting a field goal, shooting a free throw, or sometimes turning it over. But for for Duke to have had Mark Williams essentially as the focal point of what they were doing on offense when he was in the game. And that's what that means. That's what usage percentage is for that to have been Mark Williams in this game is really, it tells you something about how much he has progressed as a player. Donald, you mentioned career high in points. Yes. He also had a career high in block shots, but most important to me, career high in minutes played. Mark Williams, this is the first time Mark Williams has surpassed 20 minutes played in a game. It's been, and that's been inching up and inching up more and more in recent games. And Coach K said in the post game that Mark Williams is learning how to play physically. Coach K said this is a very physical game. This is a, this is a big NC State team. They, they don't, you know, they, they played like two guards and three forwards, and those forwards are tall. And for Mark Williams to be able to play physically with those NC State games, 
was really impressive. And I want to point out, by the way, you know, talk about this being career high in minutes, points, and block shots for him. This will not be Mark Williams's career game. He's going to surpass all those numbers at some point, probably this year. Um, I, I, his progression over the past couple of weeks is is just, you know, it's remarkable. He is so confident. Um, I, I I think it is one of the biggest developments we've seen for this Duke team. Uh, you know, in the past several weeks has got to be the ascension of Mark Williams to being a absolute dominant player in the paint. And looking at Mark Williams playing 27 minutes in this game, it's, it's impressive. I think for any guy of that size to play that much in a conference game as a freshman, because usually there just isn't enough coordination and, and game speed there. Mark Williams was able to also like, contest around the basket a lot you said five block shots and didn't give up a lot of fouls nor did anybody else on the Duke team and this is the other kind of big good thing that I wanted to highlight NC State only took nine foul shots the the whole game and this is a place where Duke has actually struggled a little bit this year but last night basically no foul shots for NC State Duke managed to not foul NC State shooters and keep the Wolfpack down to 53 points. So it wasn't like they were not fouling them and it was the the Notre Dame game or the UNC game where it was just up and down and up and down. So I'm really impressed with Duke's ability to, to and I know we'll talk a little bit more about, about forcing turnovers and all that, but limiting NC State's foul shooting, I thought was big, not just for Mark Williams, but for the whole team. So I want to talk about one more individual player really quickly, and then uh, I think we have to get to the defense, which was, you know, it, when I did my headline, it was all about the defense. Um, but I want to talk about Jamin Brakefield for a second. Coach K pointed out in the postgame that Jamin was really close to having a great game. It was just a couple, like, close-in, you know, shots, layups that, that – you know, didn't go in and Kay said that would have really helped his confidence and, and also sort of, you know, it would have made his box score look more impressive. Um, this was the first time that Jamin Brakefield has played more than five minutes in a month. It was the first time he hit a three pointer since before Christmas. I mean, think about how long it's been early in the season. Jamin Brakefield came on strong and we were all like, Oh, you know, look at this guy. And he was hitting threes and stuff. He hadn't hit a three pointer since before Christmas. He had five rebounds in this game that led the team in rebounding. And for the first time in a long time, I saw Jamin Brakefield rebounding out of his area. Usually when he grabs a rebound, it's because it comes right to him. I saw Jamin Brakefield moving for rebounds in a way I haven't seen him do very much lately. It was very encouraging and a very positive development for him to play this much and have this, you know, much of an impact on the game has to help his confidence. And, uh, and I, I think maybe we're going to see more and more of him going forward. Coach K pointed out specifically how well Jamin played in the postgame. So that tells me that Coach K was impressed with his play too. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned it, and I wanted to talk about the defense because I thought the defense was spectacular, especially in the first half. It's the story of the game. The defense yeah. is the story of the game. And really the, – the defense was great, especially on the perimeter. They were able to force a lot of turnovers. They forced 13 turnovers in the first half for NC State. NC State had 18 throughout the game. But in the first half, it, basically from around the 1340 mark or so, Duke went on a 24-7 to run till uh, the under-four timeout. And what happened was basically they took their defense and they took that and turned them into quick points. They were 22 uh, they had 22 points off of turnovers to NC State's 10. And, and 
the defense was really, you know, getting into passing lanes, really, you know, contesting three pointers. They, they had a really tough time shooting and really going after guys going into the paint. Now they scored a lot in the paint, but almost like 75, almost 80% of their points came from the paint, 53 points, 40 in the paint. The 40 number looks bad, but when you look at the context of the game, it's because they were missing everything from outside of 10 feet, like for a whole, you know, 15 minutes of the game, they were in control on the defensive end. And that turned into quick offense on the other end. Donald, you mentioned that the run that Duke went on started about, I think it was six or seven minutes into the game. Prior to that, Duke pretty much had the lead the whole time, but it was somewhat back and forth where like Duke would go up by three and then NC state would, would hit a two and and come within one. And right before that run started, NC state had a, had a steal. Jericho Hellams stole the ball and had a thunderous dunk. And it felt like, okay, this has been a little back and forth, but maybe now NC state's actually got a little bit of momentum. That's when the game like completely turned Duke's way. And it was, it was very impressive to see Duke, sort of recover from that initial kind of back and forth that, and that toughness from NC state to, to really just shove it down their throats. And then by the way, in the second half, Duke didn't balloon their lead. And you could maybe talk about this in the, in the bad section, Duke didn't really expand the lead, but they were already winning by 20 and just sort of kept NC state at, at arm's length the whole time. So you might say, Oh, well, this is, you know, another game where, where Duke doesn't play a full 40, but they played so well for that, 10, 12 minute stretch that it doesn't even matter. When that dunk happened early in the game, it, it's something that we've seen quite a bit in games bef- it, this year where they have that and you go, oh man, like, please just, just respond, get, you know, get a basket on the other end, make that momentum disappear. And it doesn't. And we end up having a struggle throughout the game. This game, the answer was a 24 to seven run. So that is that exactly how you respond to momentum by creating some of your own. You know, I, I want to talk about our defense against their three-pointers. And Donald, you touched on this a little bit. Uh, with seven minutes and 34 seconds left in this game and Duke leading by 22 points, which they had led by, you know, pretty much the entire second half. Seven minutes and 34 seconds left in the game, NC State hit a three-pointer. It was their first three-pointer of the game. They did not hit a three for the first 33 minutes of the game. Uh, and in the preview, when we were talking about this game, We said that NC State is a really good three-point shooting team. They hit 36% of their threes. They're a good three-point shooting team. And Duke's one of Duke's keys in this game was going to be holding them down from three. So with seven and a half minutes left, they hit their first three. I'd say that's holding them down. They got another three in the final 20 seconds of the game. I mean, you want to talk about meaningless. But Duke is the worst three-point defensive team in the ACC. We're among the worst in the country at defending the three. And in this game, we were dominant at it. And Mark Williams said that Duke's been working on different ways of handling ball screens. They've been working on communicating better. They've been working on covering the three-point line. And that is paying off. Coach K said they did almost nothing but work on defense the past few days in practice. Look, after the Virginia, I'm sorry, after the UNC and Notre Dame games, clearly we needed to work on our defense, uh, but it, it definitely paid off. If we can sustain this going forward, this team's season may not be over the way some people have predicted. And I will note really quickly uh, that 
PNC Arena, Raleigh's, uh, I'm sorry, NC State's Arena, did allow a few family members to attend a game. Uh, I, I think we all can see how that response was because being able to play, it's not something that they've been able to do very often this year. So the idea that they were able to play, the team was able to actually see some of their family members who could come in town for the game. I think that probably helped calm everybody down and get them into, you know, a groove uh, being able to see them. So it's good. It was good to see that they were able to do that uh, in a safe manner and be able to uh, have their families in the stands. I did want to move on because there were a couple of uh, uh, veggies that we can digest uh, from this game. So Sam, I'll start with you. Give me something that you thought could be improved from the many things that we saw that were great. Well, I think that the standout, unfortunately, is Jalen Johnson, who continues to to fall out of the rotation, it feels like. And it's been such a weird season for him. He was he was so good early. We know that he got hurt and and he's shown some incredible flashes even in the last month. But the last two games barely playing yesterday doesn't even register 10 minutes in this game and is and is a non-factor. I wonder if we're going to find out that, that there's more to this than we realize. And what's weird is that the rotation does seem to be clicking without him. It's not, I, I don't think this is one of the, what, what, what do we call this? The Ewing theory where you take your, your best player out and, and the team gets better. I don't think that's what's going on here because Jalen Johnson's game does not strike me as somebody who's, who's sort of creating a black hole or, or you know, around his teammates, but it is disappointing that we're seeing this, especially because, look, we know he's going to leave for the NBA. He's a projected, if he's not a lottery pick, he's just outside the lottery. Like he's going to the NBA and, and we are rooting for him to have a long and great NBA career. It's just weird that his time in Durham is, it seems to be coming to a close with him falling out of the rotation and not contributing the way you expect from a lottery pick coming in a few months. So a few days ago, Coach K said that, Jalen was still, you know, they implied he's still kind of dealing with some of the foot issues that he had from the foot injury. And, and coach K talked about the fact that it was not like, you know, coach K cone of silence. They, they don't say a lot about injuries at Duke, but coach K said that the foot injury was unusual and that they had to deal with it in some unusual kind of ways. And, and there's definitely an implication that they're still, dealing with it they're still working jason, on it jason yeah. and that's and that's saying something considering the history of foot injuries at duke oh yeah yeah we've seen some weird ones that that just seem to linger and and maybe it is lingering um you know for jalen to only play eight minutes three points no rebounds no assists four fouls it, it it's it's not a good line from him and and i guess the most disturbing thing and sam kind of alluded to this is Duke seems to play better. Duke's, you know, other players seem to work better when Jalen's not in the game. That's not always the case. I mean, we've seen games earlier this year where he was facilitating a lot more, where, you know, some of the energy and and athleticism that he brings on offense created other opportunities for his teammates. That just hasn't been happening lately. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder as we see guys, like Jamin Brakefield have better games that we see Mark Williams playing better and better. Matthew Hurt is now back to being sort of what he was recently. There ain't a lot of minutes up there on, on the front line. Uh, heck, even Henry Coleman has now played his way into being a definitive part of the rotation. Um, I think that the best version of Duke is a version that includes Jalen Johnson playing a big role. I'm, I'm just not certain we're going to get to that. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how things progress. 
The one thing I wanted to discuss, and I wanted to go back to it a little bit because it was sort of negative and sort of positive when you look at the context, is the points of the paint. They gave up 40 points of the paint. They've been giving up a lot of points in the paint lately, usually averaging around 30 points, uh, 30, I'm sorry, 40 points in the paint. The context is, yes, they were missing everything from outside, but we've seen in previous games where that has not been the case, where teams have shot very well against us from the perimeter and coupled with the fact that they're doing inside the paint, they would be able to uh, ride that to victory. We obviously have to cut that down quite a bit. I think having Mark Williams in the game and having him, as you said, have a career high minutes and being able to impact around the rim was a good thing. But I do think that there's opportunities or there, there are instances where Matthew Hurt, Jalen Johnson, when he's in the game, are able to need to be able to rotate a little bit better because when guys drive, they dish off to someone who's usually open. And a lot of those are, are into being dunks. So that is where I see there's room for improvement. We saw the context of this game, but if a team is able to shoot well against us and do that, that poses big problems for us as we've seen. There, and, and somewhat, somewhat related to that, Donald, um, I, it wasn't just that they, um, that they got all those points in the paint. They also out-rebounded us, stayed out-rebounded us 41. I'm sorry, stayed out-rebounded us 31 to 26. Um, they grabbed 12 offensive rebounds, which is almost 40% of their missed shots, which is a big offensive rebounding number. Uh, although uh, NC State only scored 10 second chance points against Duke. But, uh, you know, look, if we're looking for veggies from this game, um, I, I think State's performance in the paint is something that Duke, you know, you, you don't want to see every opponent doing what state was able to do inside. But, you know, if you're taking a trade off, give them some, a little more inside, completely strangle them from the three point line, three is worth more than two. I think that Duke made the right choice there. <laughs> and very rarely is Duke going to give up 53 points in a game and feel like they didn't do enough on defense. I mean, they're, they're almost always going to play fast enough, even against a, a team like Virginia, holding the opponent to 53 points is going to be a good sign for Duke. So, Jason, why don't you put a bow on this and uh, wrap up the veggie portion of this recap? So I had among my bad things. And by the way, I wanted to mention um, Joey Baker did not play at all, which which was sort of weird. And everyone's trying to kind of trying to figure that out. There has not been any report of uh, of an injury related to Joey. Maybe he's hurt and Duke didn't say anything. Um, maybe, you know, something happened in practice or something like that. It, it sort of doesn't make sense. Uh, that Joey did not play at all if, without there being some reason behind it because he had been playing better lately. And and this game was a blowout, right? I mean, there there yeah, were exactly. there were opportunities to empty the bench for the last five minutes of this game that Duke didn't really take advantage of. Right, but but the 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 final bad thing that I wanted to mention was Duke doesn't play like this all the time, and that's kind of a bad thing. Um, the fact that Duke is not consistent, the fact that we saw a different Duke team today than we than we've seen you know, uh, at all over the past month. We saw a Duke team today that played great defense and that was very efficient on offense. The fact that we don't see that team consistently is a bad thing. In fact, that is the most significant bad thing this season, Duke's lack of consistency. So we need to take this game and build on it. The most, the most troubling aspect of Duke's season is we can play this well and we can also play as poorly as we've played at times. And we need to find a way. Time is running out. We need to find a way to play, if not this well, close to this well, on both ends of the floor, more consistently. That's, that's my last bad thing. Inconsistency has been our identity. I hope we start to shed that 
in the time where it really matters the most. If we can get consistent, like you said, on offense and defense throughout the rest of the season, that's only going to help. Yeah. And actually one other little thing I wanted to mention, uh, I, not that I want close games. Uh, I enjoy seeing Duke beat the snot out of teams. Oh yeah. (laughs) But this was, uh, this was sort of yet another game where uh, Duke didn't have a chance to perform down the stretch. Uh, And not that that's, that's not bad or anything, but I just want to point out that in, in one possession games in games where Duke, you know, where it's been a one possession game in the final minute, Duke has only beaten BC and Georgia Tech. Those are the only two games we've won sort of in the final minute where it was a really close game. Uh, we, we've lost to, to Pittsburgh, to Louisville, to Miami, to UNC, and to Notre Dame. So we're two and five in essentially one possession games. I'm not saying final score, but final minute, minute and a half, uh, where the game was absolutely 100% in doubt. Um, and not that I, again, not that I want Duke to play a lot of close games, but the next time we play a close game, I, I need us to win it. <laughs> this was not that. And again, that's not either a good nor a bad. It's just something I wanted to point out from this game. I hope that's something we don't have to experience the rest of the season because we're blowing everybody out by 30. I'll take that. If, if Duke has to end the season on a win streak where we have only won two one possession games all year, I'll take it. Okay, guys, next up for us is a game against Wake Forest. It is on Wednesday night. Uh, of course, we have played Wake before. I, I Before we get into the players to watch and the advanced stats, as we normally do, I did want to look at their record, focusing more on what they've done since we last played them uh, back in January. So Wake is 6-9 and nine on the season. They're 3-9 and nine in the ACC. They haven't done well. Uh, they just lost yesterday to FSU on the road in overtime, but they did beat Boston College by four on the road midweek. Of course, Boston College is not also not doing well, so take from that what you will. Yo, Since- lo- losing, losing to Florida State in overtime is a really good result. That shows you how good this Wake team can be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I was, I was me- merely mentioning beating Boston College really isn't a signature win that they're going to put on their resume, but a win is a win when you're six and nine. Since they last played us on January 9th, though, they have lost six of their last nine. Their lone wins coming against Pitt, Miami, and as I mentioned, Boston College. When we played them last time, if you recall, it was back and forth until about the 1145 mark in the second half, and it was tied 50 at 55, and we won on a run kind of to close out the game and down the stretch to win. And as you mentioned, it was a game that was kind of still in doubt until the final couple of minutes. Our offense is a lot better now than it was then. Our defense, as we saw yesterday, our defense was improved yesterday. Can we be consistent? And and can we put this game out early, get on a great run, use our defense to kind of spur our offense as we did yesterday, and use that as a wave? So uh, I do want to go to the players to watch. Uh, Sam, that's usually what you normally uh, go for. Who are we looking out for for this game? And, And if you want to take it from the context of, who we saw that did well last game that we need to kind of focus in on this time. I think we know from the previous game that Davian Williamson and Isaiah Mucius are, are two of Wake's most effective players. And Williamson in particular had a good game against Duke last time. I imagine that there'll be, you know, renewed focus on him on the game this week, a guy who didn't play as well in the previous game, who has been playing better in recent weeks is Odi Oguyama. Uh, He's, he's really come on stronger for wake and, and he's a big man. So seven footer expect to see, I, I think what I'm excited about is the matchup between Oguama and Mark Williams, who 
also, if you look back at that first weight game, I think Mark Williams only played like four or five minutes and has as we've talked about, progress a ton in that time. Oguama is going through a somewhat similar transformation, playing more minutes, getting more offensive touches, just being more effective around the basket. So that's a matchup, I think, to watch in this game that will be, in all likelihood, markedly different from the version of Duke versus Wake Forest that we saw in January. And Jason, you are the man for advanced stats. Again, you could take it from the context of what they've done since they played us or throughout the season, but tell us what we're looking for in this Wake Forest uh, offense and defense. So uh, in Wake Forest, you're looking at a team that is sort of equally bad on offense and defense. They're, they're ranked in the one teens or so on both offense and defense. Uh, you know, lots of time in terms of advanced stats, you'll find a team that's good at one and bad at the other or you know, whatever it may be. No, Wake Forest is a team that is bad at both. Um, not terrible. Consistently but, but mediocre. That is a good way to put it, sir. Consistently mediocre. Uh, their offense, they, they really, they let you do what you want to them. I mean, that seems crazy to say, but this is a team that is 347th in the nation in getting their shots blocked. That's really bad. They're, they're only like 350 teams. They're 347th in letting teams block their shots. They are also 332nd in giving up steals. So they let you block your shot, block their shot. They let you steal the ball from them. What do they do well? They shoot three-pointers. Everyone other than Odi Oguama likes to shoot three-pointers in this team and almost half of Wake Forest possessions, 45% of Wake Forest shots end up being three-pointers, and they hit them at a pretty nice clip, thirty, uh, almost 37% from three. So one big key to this game, Duke is going to have to, just like they did against NC State, prevent Wake from taking and hitting a lot of three-pointers. On defense, Wake Forest gives up a pretty good percentage of three-pointers. Their opponents hit about 36%. Duke has been a lot hotter from three the past few games than we have been earlier in the year. We must continue that against Wake. And uh, they also give up a high two-point percentage. Opponents hit more than 51% of their two-point shots against Wake Forest, which is not a good number. Um, uh, About the only thing on defense that Wake does well is their good defensive rebounding team, top 60 in the country in defensive rebounding. So, uh, you know, they're a team that you can hit a lot of shots, but they don't mind that because they usually hit a lot themselves. And and, and Duke is going to have to keep this team from shooting us out of the gym the way we've seen, you know, like Notre Dame and North Carolina. So we will see what happens on Wednesday night after a week where we had games starting at 4 and 4.30 in the afternoon. This one's a late one. You can put your jammies on. It's an 8.30 tip-off on the East Coast. Uh, but Duke takes on Wake. We will see what happens there. I think this is a good time to pause for uh, our usual break. But on the other side, we'll take a look at the bracket preview the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee released yesterday. And we hand out Player of the Week honors. Stick around to find out who we All right, gentlemen, we are back in the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee yesterday released their bracket preview, which is something they've done the past few years to show what the bracket would look like a month out from Selection Sunday. And as we would expect from this year, for the first time since the NCAA started doing this, Duke is not on this bracket, but we did feel it was important to talk about. So I want to take you through the bracket quickly. Keep in mind, because all the teams are playing in Indianapolis and around Indianapolis this year, 
Gone are the region names. The regions this year are numbered based on the strength of the one seed they have in their bracket. So I'll read through them real quick. Region one, the number one overall seed, Gonzaga. The two seed, Alabama. Three, Oklahoma. And four seed is Iowa. Region two, the one seed is Baylor. The two seed, Illinois. We played them uh, back in December. Uh, Number three is Tennessee. And number four, Texas. Region three, the one seed there, Michigan. Number two, Houston. Number three, West Virginia. And four, Missouri. And region four, Number one, Ohio State, two, Villanova, three, Virginia, the lone ACC representative, and the four seed is Texas Tech. So, Jason, I'll start with you. Anything that stand out from uh, this? Obviously, we've talked about Gonzaga and Baylor being the two best teams in the country so far this year. Anything else that strikes you about these top 16 seeds? So a couple things stick out to me. The, The first one is... So the NCAA actually, they, they don't just divide them up in the regions. They announced sort of where they were all ranked. You know, they, they, they ranked these teams from one to 16. They did something weird and I don't understand it. In region three, which is Michigan, Michigan, Houston, West Virginia, and Missouri. It's an unbelievably weak region. Again, just based on the rankings that the NCAA assigned. Michigan is the number three of all the number one seed. Houston is the number four of all the number two seeds. West Virginia is number two among the three seeds. And then Missouri is the fourth number four seed. Uh, that, that's a lot of numbers to, to, to put together. But the bottom line is, basically, if you look at the strength on each one of those seed lines, region three, the region that Michigan is in, has the weakest team or one of the weakest teams every single time. It's just, it's just strange. I don't know why they put them together that way. Why wouldn't you? And I guess part of it is, you know, you've got all these big 12 teams, big 10 teams, you're trying to move them around, not have them face each other, that kind of thing. But they, they artificially, for some reason, and again, it has nothing to do with where you're located because everyone's going to be located in Indianapolis. They created a region that is just way, way, way easier than the other regions. And, and part of that is this, they've got Iowa on the, on the four seed line. Iowa's pick number 13th in the country. They're, they're the best of the four seeds, but they've got them on the four seed line. Ken Pomeroy has Iowa as the third best team in the country. I mean, basically after Gonzaga and Baylor, Ken Pomeroy says Iowa is the next best team in all of college basketball. And here they have them on the, on the four seed line playing Gonzaga. Uh, you know, I think, and, and, and the other weird thing was, so Baylor's the number two, and they said Baylor and Gonzaga basically, you know, side by side. But then they give Baylor... The top number two seed, Illinois. Illinois is num- the fifth team. I, again, lots of numbers, but I, I, I look at these brackets and, and it doesn't make sense to me. This is the one time, if you're the NCAA, I would think, just do a snake. I, you know, maybe move a team here or there a little bit for, you know, for the fact that they're in the same conference, but do a snake. Make it as balanced as you can because what they put out is not balanced. So – this is, this is the reason I think, and obviously I don't know, so I'm going to speculate here for a second. I think we just found out that the NCAA does a full bracket, and they only release the top four seeds. Because I think some of this has to do with, you know, moving some of these teams around is not necessarily to combat against the other seeds. It's because there's other teams that are going to be in this 64-team bracket. So you're going to have teams down the line that they have to move around to accommodate, especially when you're talking about, the Big Ten is probably going to get, what, eight, nine, ten teams. The Big 12 is talking about getting a lot of teams. All of these, you know, teams that we see here, 
are from conferences that are going to get a lot of teams into the final bracket. And so I think what they're doing is they're doing a full bracket and they're just changing it every single day. They just gave us the top four seeds from each region at this point, but obviously things can change. Sam, give me your thoughts on this. What, what, what did you see from this? I want to look at this quickly from Duke's perspective. We know that it is unlikely at this point that Duke is making the tournament, but this top 16 reveal, I think, puts that into sharp focus because Duke only has one game left on its schedule against any of these teams, which is the lone ACC team, Virginia, that's in here. And it it shows you how far I think the ACC has fallen relative to some of the other big conferences like the Big Ten and the Big 12 who have numerous teams sort of littered throughout here in Oklahoma and, and Baylor and Texas in the, in the big 12 and Iowa and Ohio state and Michigan and a few others for, for the big 10. So it's a bummer for Duke and for the ACC that there just isn't as much representation up here. And I don't know, I, I think a few years ago I stopped sort of rooting for the ACC in the tournament, but there is a part of me that's like, man, I, I hope that the ACC can, can muster up a little bit more, uh, talent and a little more quality going into the tournament because they don't have that many teams at the top. So that's really, I think, all that there is to say about Duke and the ACC. I'm not sure that there are any ACC teams that are going to play their way into the top four, uh, but there's certainly a lot of talent you know, among teams like Florida State who could still play their way into a Sweet 16 or even farther in the tournament. And then the other thing that I want to note that's just kind of cool, if we if we want to step back, One of them is that Gonzaga and Baylor are the sort of overwhelming favorites. Gonzaga, of course, has been at the top of the sport for a long time, but I think has struggled until very recently to be taken seriously among the Blue Bud programs. This is Gonzaga being the best team in college basketball, and there's like very little argument about it. Baylor is another team that that had it's had a number of program struggles that have been it's actually somewhat <laughs> terrible. Uh, you know, they, they've had they've had a few really serious scandals in the last twenty years, but also climbing their way back up in a in a tough conference, a conference that is normally dominated by Kansas. Baylor is the is the clear other top seed, so I think that's really cool for them and 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 a, and a nice story for that program. And then as of now, the other two top seeds are Michigan and Ohio State. Two schools that very much hate each other. That's like that's like Duke and North Carolina being being number one seed. So I think that's cool too. I'm I'm willing to in a year when so many things are going wrong celebrate all the coolness that is going into this bracket. Yeah, I mean Ohio State's not cool. I you know I'm a hater, but <laughs> I got you. Yeah, but I, I will say really quickly on Virginia, I, I think Virginia is learning that they cannot be the tide that that raises all ships, right? Like usually when we have these brackets, you see Duke, you may see North Carolina. And because of that, teams can then say, hey, I beat Duke. I beat North Carolina. Get me in the NCAA tournament. And they could ride those coattails. And Duke and UNC and even Virginia and a couple other teams being really good will lift the conference up and get them to seven, eight, nine teams. Virginia can't do that because Virginia beating people is not like people can say, oh, I beat Virginia, right? Like, Usually if someone beats Duke, someone beats UNC, they can sit there and the committee goes, oh, wow, that was a really good win. Like Duke and UNC are rated very high. Virginia doesn't have that respect yet from the rest of the, of the committee. They may have been successful over the last few years. They may have won in 2018 and still claim to be the NCAA champions for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry, 2019. But I, I think what this shows is that the ACC can't rely 
on other teams lifting the rest of the conference up. It has to be that the Blue Bloods have to be involved in that. We're seeing that a lot this year across the country. Uh, but I do think that when it comes to ACC, they have to figure out a way to make it so that Virginia doing well or Virginia Tech doing well or Clemson or other teams can lift the rest of the conference up. We're just not seeing that so far this year. Okay, guys, we are going to wrap up with Player of the Week honors. Remember, we are taking into account the Notre Dame and NC State games. So, Jason, who is your Player of the Week? So, this was actually a pretty tough one because Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach were both great against Notre Dame, but they had pretty subpar games against NC State. Matthew Hurt, of course, incredible against NC State, not so much against Notre Dame. So, I'm going with Mark Williams. You may recall that Mark was uh, plus 11 in plus minus against Notre Dame. And I think his defense really set the tone for Duke against NC State in that game where he set career highs in minutes, points, and block shots. So Mark Williams is my player of the week. I like that decision. Sam, who you got? I'm glad that Jason highlighted a number of guys because I, I felt the same way. There are There wasn't a clear winner this week. There were a, a lot of guys who made strong contributions. I'm going to go with Matthew Hurt. I am continue. I, I continue to be uh, excited about the development in his offensive game and in Duke's one win this week. Matthew Hurt, I thought, was the was the standout player and and the key to that win. To say nothing of Mark Williams's performance this week, and as you mentioned, Jason, I thought Jeremy Roach also had one of his best weeks as a Blue Devil. So all of those guys deserve consideration. But I'm going to give it to Matthew Hurt, six for nine from from two and seven for 11 from three across those two games. That is, that's some strong output. And, and I'll take that every week. And, you know, I was actually just looking this morning to see where the projections have, have Matthew hurt going in the draft. I can't find that he's, that he's currently on pace to get drafted, which is not to say that he's not going to leave because it does feel like he's developed at an NBA level offensive game, but uh, I'm trying to enjoy the, the, the Matthew hurt time while we still have it. I, I that that's a good sentiment. I like that. I it's funny, you know, in you, you were talking about how there's a week. This is the week where there's a lot to consider and there are a lot of players who could deserve it. Uh, and we can talk about it all we want. But when Jason posts these on the forums, the votes, he's going to see everyone's just going to see the vote and they're going to see that I join him in naming Mark Williams the player of the week for me because I think the consistency for him was the key in a, in a season that we have not been consistent. He was the most consistent again, career highs and blocks, career highs and points, career highs and minutes. He influenced the game on both ends of the floor in both games. Uh, and, and really just the, the trajectory that we've seen from him over the last few weeks has been something to marvel at and has really changed the complexion of how we look as a team on both ends of the floor. So I'm going to join is two for Mark Williams and we get one for Matthew hurt, but a victory to end the week, I think is the best gift that we can leave you with. And that will do it for episode 281 of the Duke basketball report podcast. A reminder to all of you out there, find us wherever you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, leave us five-star reviews. We really, really like those and we really appreciate them. And if you have questions or comments about the show, drop us a line at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back at some point after the Wake Forest game to discuss another big game coming up next weekend. But until then, for Jason Evans and for Sam Klein, I am Donald Wine. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And now the Duke band will take you home.
Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Oh, and yes, it is. We talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. You have a beautiful voice, Sam. Thank you. It's funny because on the podcast, you, as you've said in the past, you sort of go deeper on your voice. Yes. When you were singing, you, you went higher. Uh, well, I was, I was, I think, singing in the appropriate register for that tune. Um, I, but, I would uh, not know. I, I know nothing about this. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Good Morning from Singing in the Rain. A, uh, oh, I'm familiar with the song. Yes. yes. Good morning. Good morning. There I go. I got it. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. And we have our <laughs> post-podcast outtake moment. There we go. 